Hey, Trojan fans, get ready for the Trojan Blast podcast. The Trojan Blast is like our regular Peristyle podcast with a little twist. You can download all of our podcasts 24 hours a day, seven days a week at peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Trojan Blast podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Peristyle Podcast, Trojan Blast recruiting edition of the Peristyle Podcast. For the second week in a row, USC and Lane Kiffin had a big day on Wednesday. Uh, Last Wednesday, picked up three commits, almost 900 pounds worth. This Wednesday, a couple of more, class of 2013 kid, class of 2014 kid, Max Redfield, an impressive four-star safety out of Mission Viejo, same high school as Jalil Pinner, and of course, Mark Sanchez. Gerard Martinez joining us on the show. we got a lot of questions to get to. We want to talk about all these news. What's up, Gerard? Wow, what isn't up? <laughs> it seems like every week we have a lot to talk about and a lot to cover. We're rehashing the Trojans' complete dominance over the recruiting trail. It just seems like the lane train is out of control, but it's coming to a slow. We're seeing uh, a little bit of an end to the track coming soon. Only two more scholarships left in the 2013 class. Maybe only one scholarship left. We'll get to that later. Whoa. Dropping some scoop here on the Trojan Blast record. It's not like the train is losing momentum. It's just running out of track. There's no... Yeah, there's just nowhere to go. There's the, you know, everybody's on board basically. <laughs> so, you know, it's it and, and obviously we've talked about before, there's going to be an extension of the recruiting process for all of these kids, even though they're commitments, there's still going to be plenty of recruiting left. And by the time we get down to San Antonio and we're doing our podcast uh from San Antonio for the Army All American game, you know, we're gonna be talking about a lot of drama and a lot of official visits and this kid wavering and that kid wavering and maybe a committed kid still looking at USC wanting to take a visit in January. There's still a lot of process to go through, but um, it's been a whirlwind just this summer and it's been exciting. I mean, it's been probably the craziest and, and really probably the most exciting summer for USC Trojan fans, uh, maybe ever. All right. Well, we have a lot, a lot of questions. So I'm going to try to get to all of those. Um, maybe real quick before we get into it, Casey Tucker uh, he was the 2014 offensive line commit. So anyone that asked, if you asked a question about when is Max Redfield going to commit, he's already committed. So boom, you're done. So those questions are done. Um, but what, tell us about Casey Tucker that we saw him down in Atlanta, 2014 kid from Arizona, big offensive tackle. 6'5", 275 pounds, uh, an offensive tackle for sure. He's got the long arms. He's got the height. Um, he's got the build. He's a tremendous looking talent, possible five-star for next year. He's going to be that guy that, you know, is going to be the name guy for that 2014 class. You have Toa Lobendon and you have Jordan Poland. Uh, those two guys are at the moment a little more off the radar. I think with Lobendon, you're looking at the guy who's probably going to be a guard. He's going to be a four-star guy. He's going to be that guy that hovers around, you know, the Rivals 100, maybe just outside of that for a while because he's a guard. Uh, but he's a real productive player. And you look at Poland, he's the guy with all the upside. He's the guy, 6'8", 335 pounds already. Um, on paper, when you look at his attributes, uh, there's some similarities to uh, Chantrell Henderson. And obviously people cringe when they hear that comparison just because Chantrell Henderson has been to this point pretty much a bust at Miami. But 
I think when you're looking at physical attributes, there's a lot of comparisons to be made. You know, where I think Chantrell went wrong is more his disposition, more the issues with just his work ethic and, and being focused on the field. You know, those kind of things, that's a whole different story uh, with Poland. Poland right now um, is, is going to be going actually into his junior year um, athletically, but it's actually going to be his senior year uh, in terms of, or actually I should say that, well, it's, his, it's actually his junior year academically, and it's going to be his senior year athletically. So he's going to play this year, and then next year, which would technically be his senior year, he's actually going to end up sitting out. Um, he went from uh, high school in Phoenix, transferred over to La Jolla High School, Country Day, in San Diego, and he kind of took a red shirt academically. So he was up on his academics and made sure that, you know, he had good grades. He wanted to be able to go to pretty much any school he wanted to, and he didn't want to have to struggle. And La Jolla Country Day is a really, really tough academic institution. So kind of took that red shirt academically, but athletically, you know, he's going to play out this year, and he's going to have that year where he's basically going to kind of gray shirt where he's not going to play, and he's going to roll at USC in January. So he's definitely that guy is a little more of a guy that you're looking on paper, the attributes, really good basketball player at that size, really good feet. But the guy who's kind of the star, kind of going to be the name guy from that offensive line class is going to be Casey Tucker. And uh, we saw him in Atlanta, and he played really well um, against a lot of really good defensive linemen that were a year older than him. Okay, so he's the 2014 commit. Now we, you know, we talked about uh, Max Redfield. The other big news, I guess, came out this last week, and we have a bunch of questions on that when we lump them all together. Um, Eldridge Massington, uh, ACL injury. Charles, Nick, Melvin, David, and other Charles uh, all had questions about that. Tim wanted to know if you think he's going to actually move up in ranks. I think he sent that in before. Uh, he actually injured himself. It's tough once you get an injury. Sometimes you don't. They won't move up in the rankings because of that injury. But what's the uh, latest with Eldridge Massington? Um, he's got an MRI. He's got an ACL tear. Um, he's going to have surgery here pretty soon. Um, he ended up hurting it at a Tennessee camp, which it brings some questions up just in and of itself. You know, why is he going and camping at Tennessee when he's committed to USC? And he's basically on his own dime traveling to Tennessee to work out for Tennessee. So that's going to raise some questions behind the scenes. There's been no talk of pulling his scholarship offer. Um, there's none of that. Obviously, from a PR standpoint, it doesn't look good for a school to do that. But, you know, Eldridge Madison was already going to look at schools, already talking about taking some official visits. He may still do that. Um, but as of right now, he's, he's still solid with USC. He says he's not really, you know, hasn't wavered or the injury hasn't changed his mind about USC. Uh, but there's definitely some questions among the fan base. And I could see even with the USC coaching staff, they've got to take a step back and go, why exactly were you at Tennessee working out and you're committed and we've got limited scholarship offers? The ironic part of this injury is that it happened – just as Paul Harris, a guy that wanted to commit to USC and was turned away by USC because of the limited scholarship offers that they have in the 2013 class, he commits to Tennessee basically on the same day. So it's a really weird situation and, and like I said, kind of ironic in a, in a, in a kind of a, a sad way. Um, but, you know, at this point, it, it, you know, Massington's still part of the 2013 class. Um, there's no – you know, change in that that we can see in the in the imminent future. Um, but it does definitely raise some questions and, and kind of, you know, the whole story behind why he was at Tennessee. And it was actually an injury that was a non-contact injury. It was just kind of going through drills and then went down. Uh, so, you know, we definitely send our prayers out to Eldridge and, you know, wish him luck and hope, you know, that he has a speedy recovery.
All right. Uh, well, we, the other Tennessee connection from this past week and, and more big news. Normally, this would be huge news, but it ends up being like the third story just because it happened afterwards. Uh, <laughs> Jalen Ramsey, the four-star corner out of Nashville, uh, committed to USC. We did have a voicemail question about where Rams will be ranked and what, some of your thoughts about how the rankings will be adjusted. I'll play that for you now. Hi, Ryan. This question is for Gerard. There seems to be consensus opinion that Jalen Ramsey will receive a five-star rating once the new uh, rankings come out in August. Who else do you see or Gerard see attaining that five-star status? Justin Davis, Chris Hawkins, Ty Isaac, Khalil Rogers, Stephen Mitchell, Eddie Vanderdose. Any of those you feel should your opinion? Thank you. Ramsey appears to be a guy that is going to move up in the rankings. To me, he's a sure five-star. He's been one of the best cornerbacks nationally, consistently, at the best camps, against the best competition. Um, so we're kind of waiting to see. That's not going to happen until August. Um, that's when the, really the, the rankings are kind of revised. So we kind of have to wait on that. As far as the other recruits that are committed in this class, we talked a little bit about it uh, last week. You know, Ty Isaac is a possibility. He's, he's close. You know, he hovers around that area. I think Ty Isaac's just got to go out and, and do some things, you know, in his senior season from an evaluation standpoint um, with pads on to kind of put him over the top as far as five-star rankings go. Um, I don't know if there's really going to be any other guys that are imminent. You know, for me, and this is just my personal evaluation, I think that Max Redfield is a five-star level guy. I don't know that Rivals will go ahead and put him to a five-star. I, I, I think he would have to dominate maybe at the Under Armour game or some all-star game uh, after the season. I, I don't know what he could really do more um, during his senior season to press people enough to get that fifth star. Um, that's just kind of the vibe I get talking to the national experts that do the rankings for Rivals.com. From what I've seen, he's a five-star. He's one of the best safeties in the nation. I'm completely enamored with Max Redfield. I'm also a pretty big fan of Justin Davis. Now, Justin's never going to get that five-star ranking because I think of his speed and I think his size. He's only got he's got a four-seven. He's a high four-six. He's about six-one, two hundred pounds, and that's not the glamour numbers for those guys that do the rankings. The guys that want to do the rankings and they're going to have national five-star guys that are running back commits. They're going to end up being guys that are in the four-three range or they're two hundred twenty pounds. It's kind of one or the other with those guys, and um, I think it's kind of a numbers thing. And I think with Justin, he just doesn't have the numbers from a testing standpoint, from a statistical standpoint, he's a workhorse. And when you watch his film, he is very impressive. And I think the most impressive thing that I saw with him in the off season, you watch him on film, he's a power back. He makes that one cut. He gets north and south. He's got good speed in the open field. He doesn't get caught from behind. What we saw in these off season camps, which you don't have contact, you can't pick up blocks. He's a guy that made a lot of great open moves in the open field. A, lot, a guy was making spin moves. A guy was doing little juke moves. I mean, he reversed, he reversed field twice in one of those games that we saw at the opening in a passing league game where, again, you can't pick up blocks. You can't break tackles. You know, there's no way – really the only way you're getting away from people in a, you know, a one-hand touch type atmosphere with the 7-on-7 the, the, the seven games is, is to basically juke people and just put moves on them, and he was doing that. So that's what's been most impressive about him just in the offseason to see that he's a power back, but he's a guy that gets an open field. He can put a stutter step on somebody and, uh, and break their ankles. So, you know, he's a guy that my 
personal evaluation, I think he's definitely up there in, in that five-star range. Um, I think with Redfield, those two guys are the two guys I like. But as I said, as far as what Rivals does, which we don't have any control over and no saying, I think probably Ramsey is the only real sure bet. All right. I'll talk to uh, talk to Mike Farrell yesterday down at the Elite 11, so maybe I'll get in his ear on that for you guys out there. Uh, let's see. We got JD in D.C. wants to know, after well, after the Jalen Ramsey commitment, USC jumped up to number one in the rivals' team rankings, recruiting rankings, and they increased their lead uh, after uh, Max Redfield's commitment. JD wants to know, can anyone catch USC for the top spot in the rivals team rankings? I think they can if everything stayed status quo right now. But from what I'm hearing from those guys that that do the statistical analysis, if USC gets another four-star and he's a high enough four-star, probably a rivals 100 guy, it sounds like no. It sounds like they can have 18 and lock up the number one recruiting spot in the nation uh, with another four-star commit. And obviously they've got two more spots, and both those spots are going to be filled by no less than four stars from what I can see right now, Left, you know, looking at the guys that are left on the board. So probably not. I mean, they get to 18, and they get the guys that we expect them to get, or at least the guys that are left on the board you know, from that pool of talent. Probably not. Okay. Uh, Kyle, our buddy Kyle, wants to know, can Pat Hayden still recruit now that USC has a full coaching staff? Can USC still recruit? You know, I think they're going to manage. I think I'm going to go out no, on I mean, a limb here and make a bold prediction. No, I meant Pat Hayden. 2013? Not I USC think, recruit. What? Pat Hayden, because Pat Hayden, when they had an open spot last year, he went out. He could. Oh, do- yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. I thought uh, I thought he was meaning in general, can they recruit? No. <laughs> I was like, yeah, they, they can. They, they're pretty good right now. Um, Pat Hayden, yeah, he can recruit on campus. He can't go for in-home visits. Um, you know, off campus and recruit. But once a kid comes on campus for unofficial or official visit, basically anybody who's there employed at USC uh, that's a that's a full time staff member can recruit and can talk to the kids and and tell them all about USC. So he's been you know an integral part of the recruiting process for USC. These kids that have come in for rising stars and come in unofficial visits, they've sat down with Pat Hayden and he's talked to them about the academics at USC the transition from USC into a career, you know, career after football and, and been very helpful. And I think, you know, he's definitely one of those guys that he is a model for the things that he speaks of. And you can go and talk all you want about this school can do this and this school can do that. But this is a guy that's a living, breathing example of, you know, a guy that's been successful uh, because of USC and the USC education and what USC can do from a network standpoint after a, a career in football. So he's been uh, a big part of the recruiting process for USC, just not off campus. He has to be on campus. He has to be there hosting recruits. Yeah, now if they lose another assistant coach, he could step into that role. But right now they have a full staff, so obviously can't do that. Though here is a question that I, I listened to. This. I think this is what he's asking about is, can USC recruit with the sanctions? I'll let you guys hear it. Hi, my name is Jamil. I love the podcast. I'm a 2010 graduate of USC Law School, so I graduated right before the sanctions hit. <clears throat> I'm lucky because I got to see two Rose Bowls in the Emerald Bowl. So my question is, how do you think that all of the early commits factored with limited scholarships will affect USC's ability to recruit elite four- and five-star prospects on signing day early in 2013? So Lane Kiffin has been incredible in terms of bringing in elite out-of-state products on signing day. In 2010, he brought in Chantrell Henderson and Marquise Ambles. In 2011, 
Andre Walker and Lamar Dawson in 2012, Nelson Aguilar and Zach Banner, to name a few. So I look forward to hearing your response to my question. Thanks. Love the podcast and fight on. Well, yeah, that kind of goes back to the, the question I, I thought, you know, just the general question is, how are sanctions going to affect USC? Can USC recruit with sanctions? And the, the answer has been yes. And the answer has just been from, you know, what USC has done. The empirical evidence is that, yes, they can definitely recruit. And, and they've recruited to this point. You know, quite frankly, now is an easier time to recruit with a limited class than it was in 2011 and even maybe even 2012 when you first had the sanctions come down and you still had the uncertainty. I think in 2011, that was really probably the most difficult year uh, for, for for recruiting and the coaching staff recruiting just because you had a lot of questions as to you know how that was going to affect the football team and how that was going to affect the support of the fan base. Um, and, and those questions have been resolved. And USC, as you see now, is getting plenty of four-star and five-star recruits. So um, to answer the question, the sanctions haven't really hurt at all. Okay. Uh, we, well, there's a lot of success, obviously, with USC recruiting, but we still get some kind of pessimistic torp type of questions. Uh, Rundy wants to know, he says, virtually every kid has targeted, USC has targeted has committed. What is the staff doing differently? <laughs> Assuming they did something wrong before. <laughs> Yeah, they've always been good at recruiting. I mean, Pete Carroll put in a system that Lane Kiffin has followed, not necessarily to a T, but closely, and the success has continued. They never really had a bad class at USC. And so I guess the biggest difference this year is, A, you have a team that's on a national championship run. Uh, You have a quarterback that's a possible Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, I think USC, there's a transition that's happening from – kind of the the dynasty and the the reclamation that Pete Carroll brought and then you know when you had a couple years there where you had some down years relative to USC success before obviously other programs would call that good years when you win eight nine games Uh, and but then you also had the sanctions come in and that put a cloud over everything and it kind of I think people felt like the team was more down than they really were but it gives people the impression that now they're on the rebuild. And that's a big deal with recruiting. Kids want to be a part of something new. And it's like even though USC has all that tradition and they've had all that success in the past, there's something new now that is coming. And with Lane Kiffin being a new coach, young, kind of a relatively new staff that's happening, you've got the new facility there with the McKay Center, which has been mentioned by just about all the recruits glowingly when they talk about their unofficial visits to USC, there's that transition. And I think you have a combination with USC, which is really, it's a great combination. It's a win-win. You have the tradition, you have, you know, all those Heisman trophy winners and all those trophies that Lane Kiffin can point to. And then you have the new USC, you have the building towards this new run that they want to go on with the new building and the new coaches. And so you're basically being able to kind of take a little bit of both. And with the limited scholarships, Kids realize that's 10 less guys are going to have to compete with on the roster. You know, that's uh, 10 less guys in each class. You know, on paper it's 15, but, you know, we're getting 18, and the last class was 20. But they're looking at less guys they have to compete with. So, you know, and USC's had to be more disciplined with their recruiting as well. I think that's a really big thing. I think as far as the philosophy and the change in what Lane Kiffin has done compared to what Pete Carroll did, I think there's definitely been a lot less ability for the coaches to go out there and just kind of get wayward with offers and just go, well, this kid looks really good. You know, he's a four-star guy. Let's just offer him because, you know, we have that many offers. 
Now they've got to really focus in on the guys they need, the guys that fit the program, not just from a talent standpoint, but from a character standpoint. I think that's something that recruits itself. I think when you've got guys like Robert Woods and Nelson Aguilar already on the, uh, on the roster, you bring those kids on unofficial visits, you know, Nelson Aguilar is like an ace recruiter for USC. I mean, he, he's like a whole other guy. When, when these kids come in and they're coming for Rising Stars and they're hanging out with Nelson Aguilar, they can't say enough good things about the kid. So, and, and you know, Nelson Aguilar was recruited by Robert Woods. So you have, and Robert Woods was kind of recruited by Matt Barkley. You have that kind of, you know, good kids that that speak and believe in your program and echo the the sentiments and and the things that you say philosophy-wise. That kind of recruits itself, and I think that's where USC's kind of found themselves and something that Lane Kiffin's done a good job tapping into. All right. Uh, Petro wants to know, would it be wise to temper some of our enthusiasm for this highly ranked USC football recruiting class of 2013. These recruits are only 17 years old. They haven't played their senior season in football. How well can anybody really evaluate them? Yes, it's always good to temper your enthusiasm. I think that uh, there's one of those things that um, I'm one of those people that's always trying to keep expectations in check because we know that the ebb and flow of recruiting is crazy. And it's not necessarily just because, hey, are these guys really as good as people say they are? Obviously, there's going to be guys that are, and there's guys that aren't. I think when you're looking at a class, you look at some of the better classes USC's brought in, you're talking about, you know, nine, ten starters. Uh, you're getting guys, maybe five, six guys that ended up getting drafted by NFL teams, and that's in a class of like 20. So you, you're, you're, you, there's going to be some guys that kind of end up kind of falling through the cracks and just, you know, don't don't live up to the potential that everybody thought they had. Maybe they didn't have the potential that everybody thought they had in the first place. I think as far as the expectations and the excitement and kind of tempering that and being a little more even keel, it's just the fact that we're in July and this is a class that's going to have to be maintained all the way till February. And as we know, kids are going to take visits. They're going to look around. They're going to waver. These college coaches are going to be in their ears. They're going to be you know, telling them, listen, you're not going to play at USC. There's more playing time at these other schools. There's going to be a lot of different negative recruiting tactics that happen. And really, if we look at it from a historic standpoint, history tells us that there's going to be at least one decommitment in this class. That's pretty much the trend. Um, so, you know, we'll see how it goes. It may be one, it may be more one. Maybe this is an off year where this class just kind of gels together and they all stick together until February. We'll see. But that, I think, is really the reason why you kind of take a step back and go, all right, now we take a, take a deep breath. We can focus on the season, see how the team plays. And then you start to see in November, December, then you kind of get back to recruiting and you realize, wow, you know what? Really wasn't signing day in, January, uh, in July. <laughs> uh, here's an interesting kind of, not negative spin, but just Kevin's Kevin from South OC seems a little worried uh, here. He says, let's say, best case scenario, USC goes all the way and wins a national championship. That's a pretty good way to start it. But now he's worried about recruiting after that. How do the coaches keep all these kids strong considering the negative come to XYZ school because Barkley Woods, TJ, et cetera, all, are all gone next year crap. So he's worried that if USC wins a national championship, it could hurt them in recruiting. That's not an issue. As far as losing players, it's never really an issue with recruiting because those guys are eyeing those spots. There's a reason why Sua Cravens and Max Redfield are committed to USC over the summer because they both feel like they're going to be able to come in and start next year. That's not going to be an issue. If USC, best-case scenario, wins a national championship, it's going to go a long ways towards solidifying that class. 
I think if they lose, then you're going to have more question marks. Then you're going to go, well, you know, maybe USC's not the school for me. Maybe they're not everything they thought they were going to be. There's a lot of kind of things that can happen when a team loses. Sometimes the locker room isn't as good. Sometimes the chemistry isn't good. Right now, USC's having fun. And the projection is for USC to be in the BCS game, maybe the national championship game. And that's kind of what kids are looking forward to. So at this point in the summer, that's what they expect. They expect USC to win. They expect USC to be there at the end of the year. And if all that goes through, then the whole plan continues. So I think as a whole, that's going to keep the class together more than anything. So I think that wouldn't necessarily be a worry. Now, are the kids going to look around just for, just for reasons? Pio Vatude, last year, defensive tackle from Northern California, was a guy that was solid to USC, loved USC, dad loved USC. Mom was kind of hesitant because she didn't like the distance factor, kind of wanted him to go to Cal. He went to Washington. What? Yeah, Washington. That's closer. No, it's not. But that's the kind of stuff that can happen that's unexplainable. It's recruiting. These are 17-year-old kids. That happens. So as far as stopping that from happening, the only thing that coaching staff can do is just continue to recruit. And they know it, and they're going to do it. They're good at it. They've been doing it. But one of those things is sometimes you can just talk a kid out of being committed, go to another school, get early playing time, whatever it is. But as far as the winning goes and the players leaving, those two factors, they're not factors. All right, let's go back to voicemail. Here's a lot of enthusiasm in this question. Here we go, Gerard. Hello, everybody. This is Mike from Lakeview Terrace calling again. Um, I really love the show. A couple of questions um, for you, Ryan, and um, any guest, whether it's uh, Mr. Martinez, Mr. Weber, or anybody who's on the show who knows about USC recruiting. Three players in mind, uh, Matthew Thomas, the linebacker out of Miami, uh, Vernon Hargraves out of, um, Florida, I believe, Tampa, Florida, and uh, Montrevious Adams. I see that the two Florida kids have us high on their list. Uh, that would be Matthew Thomas and Vernon Hargraves. Do we have a real shot at getting Montrevious Adams out of SEC country? Uh, just want to know if you guys know anything about that. If you guys can keep me updated on that, uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Thank you for your time, and fight on. Well, there's definitely a possibility that they could get some visits uh, from one or two of those three. Uh, but at this point, I think Hargraves is the guy that's definitely – he's already kind of committed to coming back on an official visit for USC. We'll see if there's a spot open. Even if there's not a spot open, there's still a possibility that they'd bring him in on official visits because the po- coaching staff knows – what we just talked about in the last question, you kind of have to continue to recruit. You kind of have to have some plan Bs. You know that some things can happen in January. So it's not necessarily one of these things where, okay, we're not going to have any more official visits, only from the guys that have committed to us. That's not going to happen. So I think Hargraves, that's the guy that's going to still, you know, take an official visit. Um, You know, with Montrevious Adams, he talked USC up after he got the offer. He's a guy that almost committed committed to Clemson earlier in the process. He seems like an SEC guy. That's going to be an uphill battle from from what I'm looking at right now. Matthew Thomas, similar. It doesn't look like he's really going to leave state. I think there's a better chance that he ends up officially visiting. We'll kind of see how it goes. But I I think right now USC is on the outside looking in. And linebacker is really not a high spot for them uh, when you're talking about need positions. Um, Montrevious Adams would be definitely a more need position. I could see USC – uh, maybe trying to sneak in another defensive lineman. Um, it's just really going to depend on what happens here with uh, that last ride. All right. Uh, here's an interesting question. It's been a hot topic on the peristyle. I was wondering what you and Gerard think about the Robinson twins. I'm beginning to think 
We really need them. Maybe you could discuss this on the podcast. Jim Rizzo and Jim, we will discuss it on the podcast right now. I love the Robinson Twins. The Robinson Twins are the most intriguing recruits maybe still on the board. The only way USC is really going to be able to bring in the Robinson Twins, though, is if they have a decommitment or two. I don't really see an ability, you know, these last two rides that are publicly open, uh, 17 and 18, first of all, like I said before, it's not really 18, it's more, or it's not really, they're not really at 16 right now, probably more like at 17. So you have one more ride. So you've got a package deal with the Robinson Twins. You have to bring in both of them if you're going to get one of them. So obviously that's not going to work out. So you're going to have to have a decommitment somewhere along the line, which is a possibility. Are they a great need? You know, not not a great need because you're going to have Tyrell who's going to be an outside linebacker who could end up being a fantastic player, but still an outside linebacker nonetheless, and that's not necessarily a, a, a must-have position for USC. Tyree Robinson's being recruited as a wide receiver. He could play some safety. He'd be a little more intricate in the class, again, if USC had a decommitment from Sebastian LaRue. You know, something happened with Eldridge Massington where all of a sudden he decided he didn't want to go to USC. Um, you know, I think Steve Mitchell's pretty solid with USC. I don't see him going anywhere. But if something happened there at that receiver position and USC really wanted a third re- receiver in this class, that's, I think, where Tyree Robinson would come in. And he might be a guy that they, they do need, you know, especially if Robert Woods decides to leave uh, for the NFL draft. So that, that's kind of where they're at in terms of, you know, how badly USC needs them. They're definitely still in play. There'll be guys that USC continues to recruit uh, right up until signing day. That's not going to change anything. I don't care if USC has 18 guys publicly committed uh, tomorrow. It, they're still going to recruit the Robinson Twins, and there's still going to be some guys that they continue to recruit. The process is not going to change just because you're at your class limit from verbal commitments. They're just verbal commitments. All right. Uh, we actually have some Tyrell uh, Robinson video up on the front page of uscfootball.com, so you can check that out from the B2G Elite Camp. I shot that and put it up there. It's good stuff. You get to see him in drills. You get to see him play some cornerback, 6'4", probably. He's probably, what, 205, 210 now? I think he's listed at 185, but he's bigger than that. Yeah. And he played a little corner. He looked good. He's a good prospect. You like my video, Gerard? Wow. I like that video. I like uh, seeing a guy that we never really got to see. I mean, that was kind of the big thing with the B2G camp. We only got to see a limited amount of them, but um, I think maybe we're the only ones that actually have any video of Tyrell Robinson actually playing football. Yeah, so that's good. Uh, Okay, let's move on. Terry in L.A. says he hasn't heard much on Jason Hatcher since the opening. He's the uh, four-star defensive end from Kentucky. Any updates on him? Jason Hatcher, and this was kind of been kept quiet for a while, and today it just got put on blast and ended up on the message boards. Hey, Jason Hatcher is going to probably make an announcement next week and commit to a school. USC will be there. We will be there to cover it. That's all I'm going to say. Excellent point. Okay. Um, Terry had one more. He said, with the recent decommitment of, and I hope I say this right, Macadius Bain? Is USC going to jump back into the mix for him? No. Not a guy that's going to be, uh, from what I understand and from what I hear, um, back into USC's graces as far as even an official visit. I think they would look more at Keith Bryant, uh, who's a defensive tackle from uh, from Miami, who's committed to Miami right now. He came out for the Rising Stars camp and actually played pretty well. There's a possibility they bring him out for an official visit. Um, but I don't think Bain's going to be a guy that they're involved with from this point on. 
Okay. Um, Carl wanted to know, he said, I was wondering if you or Gerard knew of a relationship between Reuben Foster and Kenny Bigelow slash Khalil Rogers that would cause them to still consider Auburn as a package deal, or do you feel that their commitments are all the way USC on signing day? Um, no, there's not any real relationship between Ruben Foster and those two other than they, you know, both know each other from, uh, the five-star challenge that we had in Atlanta. Uh, but the, the connection between Auburn and Kenny and Khalil is that they had a former player, uh, that those guys played with that's at Auburn and they had a former coach that's also there too. So it's a coaching connection. So that's really the connection with Auburn. Um, are Khalil and Kennedy 100% all the way till signing day? I can't say that. That's a guarantee that I can't make. I don't think that's a guarantee that those two kids can make. They're going to take their official visit still. Auburn just doesn't feel like the school that could steal them away from USC. I just don't get that vibe. Auburn would have to have a great year, build some momentum. I just don't see it happening. I think Ohio State's still a school that has to keep the coaches at USC a little more nervous. Uh, than Auburn. It's closer to home. You got Urban Meyer there. He's a hell of a recruiter. He'll try to build something new at Ohio State. You know, they may surprise some people with some wins this year. I could see Ohio State being a bigger threat. So it's going to be one of those things. We're going to see what happens all the way till signing day. Are they solid with USC in terms of what they say publicly? Yes. But, you know, sometimes kids know what to say. <laughs> and they don't want the fans of the media to be on their backs. They want to be able to focus on the season. So, you know, until uh, they're wavering and it's obvious they're wavering, sometimes they're not going to necessarily say they're wavering. I think at this point it's just kind of wait and see, and we'll see kind of at the backside of their official visits uh, to those schools if there's any really big player for them and anybody that's really going to be competition towards the end of July, uh, January uh, when uh, USC probably brings them in on their official visits. Because USC is going to want to get that last official visit visit and last in home visit and that's going to be when you know push comes to shove the 11th hour whether those guys are in or out i talked to a good source at the elite 11 gerard and uh he was mentioning this yesterday he felt that until khalil rogers committed that there was a good shot kenny bigelow would go to auburn if rogers went he said the two are really tight but he says now that rogers committed to usc he didn't feel there was any question that they would both end up there obviously you can't you can't get, give any guarantees but this the guy i talked to really felt that both those guys would end up at USC. I think it's a good possibility. I mean, I'd still put my money on those two guys going to USC, uh, but, you know, it's a process. And, and like I said, I, you know, if Khalil would have went to Auburn, yeah, maybe, but I just there's something about that situation where I, I think Ohio State's the sleeper there. And um, it's really my own personal vibe. It's not really necessarily anything that I've heard from anybody else. It's just, you know, reading the situation and knowing how good of a recruiter Urban Meyer is, uh, he's going to mark those guys. He's going to circle those guys, and he's going to want to take them away from Lane Kiffin. There's definitely a little bit of a coaching coaching rivalry uh, there between Urban Meyer and Lane Kiffin. I don't know if you guys heard anything about that, but, yeah, they. Uh, I think that Urban Meyer would love to be able to steal Kenny Bigelow uh, specifically away from USC. Okay. Uh, Jason in PA, Greg Woodland Hills, David, they all had kind of questions about verbal switching and, and drama on signing day. I think you already addressed that pretty well. So thank you guys for sending those in. Uh, Tarion had a question. What's the difference between uh, the itinerary of officials and unofficial visits? And Greg from Signal Hill had called in a voicemail question. Wanted to know, too, about what, you know, financially what you can do differently on official and unofficial visits. And he also wanted to know who pays for these kids to fly out to all these camps, these summer camps all over the country. 
Well, yeah, the, the, the itinerary is different in that, you know, when you're flying a kid in and, and he's staying over at the, the, the hotel and you're whining and dining him, there's just more events that are involved with an official visit. And it's definitely a packed-in thing where they want you to see as much as possible. The school's flying you out, and they're putting you up with everything. So it's a, it's a one thing after another. That itinerary is full. When you're coming in for an unofficial visit, that's one of those things where, you know, it's really the kid's schedule and what he wants to do. And so, you know, he's going to come in, and once you get on campus – the, the, the coaching staff and the support staff will take you on your tour and then they'll sit you down you watch some film with the coaches talk with coaches in our office then maybe go talk with pat hayden it's a much lighter schedule obviously they want to still get you know a certain message across to those recruits that are coming in on unofficial visits um, but the intensity of it and obviously the wall-to-wall itinerary of going here and seeing los angeles and you know going to this restaurant and then going to this event to to see kind of stuff that definitely changes um from you know the the, the the unofficial visit to the official visit that's the main difference with the camps camps just like an unofficial visit same thing it's you're not the kids are not being flown in by the school to be able to camp there so you're basically going there you're doing the camp thing doing the football then you go back in you have your lunch and the coaches will talk to them and if it's a kid that's really a high level kid that they really want and they're really recruiting hard you know they may miss the second half of the camp, just taking a tour and doing some one-on-one with one of their position coaches. That's kind of how it works. Okay. I, th- I think he also wanted to know, There's, I think recruits can fly, get flown to two camps, non-school camps, like the, the opening or the Rivals Five-Star Challenge. They can get – no, well, as far as that goes, when they're not school camps, they can be flown by whatever organization wants to fly them out, quite frankly. I don't think – I don't know if it's just two or three. I, I don't – know that there's an actual number for that because, I mean, you had kids that were flown in sports for the five-star challenge. Then they were flown out to Portland, Beaverton, uh, for the Nike opening. And then you have kids that are going out, you know, this weekend for Gridiron Kings back in Orlando. So they get flown all over the place uh, when it comes to that stuff. And so it's certainly not – at this point, there's no – you know, specific number is, okay, you can only, you know, be flown here by – you know, you can only go to two camps and and have it – fully paid for by this organization or that organization it looks like basically kid wants to go somewhere somebody wants to fly him somewhere um that's a private you know sector company it doesn't have any affiliation with an actual university they can go yeah and typically those are the big national camps you do that for the regional ones they they go on their own dime usually because they're in the same region um tim wants to know what do you think of weak side defensive end uh jordan sherritt uh, could his recruit, recruitment solve, solidify our position with Vernon Hargraves? You know, I have not heard anything about Jordan Sherritt uh, as far as USC is concerned. Um, there was some talk he might get a scholarship offer earlier in May, but I think right now I think Hatcher's definitely the weak side defensive end that USC has circled up. Um, as I said, with that last spot, there's a possibility maybe he's another defensive lineman. Um, you know, kind of I think you, you, you've got – the three DBs on the board, you've got Vernon Hargraves, you've got Priest Willis, and you've got Tom Goodman. Tahan Goodman's a safety from Ranch Creek Lunga, 6'2", 195. You've got Priest Willis, who's 6'2", about 185. He's built like he could be a safety, but really needs to be a corner. Vernon Hargraves is about 5'9", 5'10", 180 pounds. He's going to be a corner. So that's the defensive backs you have on the board. I think that if those guys all decide they want to wait, or maybe Hargraves goes ahead and commits somewhere else you know, in August – and is off the board for USC, um, 
and, and, those, and then, you know, Willis and Goodman still want to wait, you know, until signing day. Then you kind of have maybe USC shifts a little bit and starts looking at defensive linemen again because they could use another defensive lineman in this class. Um, everybody's looking at the DBs because the DB is where the talent is, especially regionally, and it's a great year for defensive backs. But if USC could get another defensive tackle or they could get another defensive end, I don't know that that's out of the question. So, you know, as a guy like Sherrod come into play, maybe, but it's just not a name I'm hearing right now. Okay. Uh, we still have a few left. Let's try to rapid fire. One more. Uh, one more voicemail question. Here's that for you. Hi, Ryan and Gerard. Uh, this is Bruce in Reno, and I'm curious about how you usually evaluate the credibility of any advance notice received regarding a prospect's pending verbal announcement. Considering the developments of this past week, for example, my assessment is that your staff was fairly confident in the eventual outcome of Fala's commitment, perhaps somewhat less so with Rogers, and that finally the timing of Vanderdoe's commitment announcement as well as his ultimate selection of the Trojans, was indeed a pleasant surprise. However, in view of all the previous hype in your site leading up to today's announcement by Ramsey and that several feature articles had apparently been ready for immediate release, it seems that your staff was quite confident Ramsey was prepared to commit to the Trojans. I'm wondering if these are fair assumptions and also which prospects' verbal commitment to another program in the past caught you most by surprise. Thanks. I really enjoy the show. Last question first, Manti Teo. That will probably be the one that will go down in history as the biggest okey-doke uh, I think that uh, we've had um, on signing day, you know, especially. I think everybody thought he was going to USC. I mean, uh, USC thought he was going to USC until earlier that morning. Um, so that would definitely be the biggest surprise. As far as the preparation that goes in to verbal commitments, um, you know, if a kid is going to announce and he's going to have an announcement and we know, you know, a week or two in advance, then we have some time to be able to prepare. Uh, we have some time to check our sources, dig around a little bit. And, you know, sometimes we're able to talk to the kid and we know that that prospect is going to commit to USC well in advance before the actual announcement. Sometimes they make a decision well in advance of the actual announcement. So the announcement itself is just kind of like confirming what we had heard or, you know, what we know already. So in terms of proper preparation and having, you know, stories already pre-written and having things ready to go, I mean, that's how it goes just in general. Obviously, if there's a kid that we think there's a chance for him to go to USC, then, yes, we're going to be prepared. We're going to have some preview articles. It's not necessarily that we know 100% sure all the time, um, but we're pretty good at what we do, so we're usually pretty sure, and we're not going to put in a bunch of resources into something that we think is, you know, 40, 60, 30, 70 percent chance that USC is going to get the commitment. That's really uh, wasting our time and efforts. And trust me, there's a lot of time and effort that goes in to uh, to, to following the recruiting process and making sure that we are on top of uh, giving you the best coverage anywhere on the face of the planet and otherwise for recruiting. Boom. Yes. All right. Well, that wasn't really a great one to start with rapid fire, but we'll, we'll try to rapid fire. Through this last <laughs> one. Uh, we, I think it was Amir in Sherman Oaks. I don't see the voice. The voicemail didn't come up, but he wanted to know about uh, Steve Dillon. I think he was from the class of 2011. Whatever happened to him? Steve Dillon went to Marshall as a prop 48 partial qualifier. Um, actually talked to him last year, wanted to transfer out of Marshall. USC wasn't going to take him. Uh, possibility he could go Juco. I haven't talked to him in a while. He may still be at Marshall. That's the last I heard about the Steve Dillon. Okay. Uh, David wants to know, during Nico Fala's commitment, 
I heard comments regarding how a certain other school would only recruit him harder now until signing day. Define harder and what, how much contact can you have with a, with a player like that? Uh, you know, that's a little bit of uh, hyperbola. Um, it, you know, you, you really can only recruit so much. I mean, maybe you can send them more letters than you sent them already, but then you kind of wonder, well, why weren't you recruiting him that hard to begin with if he was the number one guy on your board? Um, so it's just, it's mostly hyperbola and just, you know, coaching staff saying, Hey, you know, we're not going to give up on you. And we still feel like, uh, you have a chance uh, to come here and, and be successful and staying in your ear. Um, it was contrast to, you know, what we had heard that UCLA quote unquote dropped, uh, Nico Fala and they'd stop recruiting him, which was just kind of funny. It was almost like, uh, you know, saying, well, you know what? supermodel that uh you know she, she didn't pay any attention to me well i didn't like her anyways well, okay sure whatever but you know that it was kind of one of those things where i think it was to take the sting out of the announcement that he was going to commit to usc okay from tim do you think we get louisiana defensive end tim williams as our final defensive lineman in this class no all right i like that. that's pretty rapid fire uh, this is from Dane Cook. I heard that Alex Redmond from Los Alamitos had an impressive camp at the opening in Oregon, including a pancake of Eddie Vander does. Uh, how does he compare to recent SC recruits like Khalil Rogers and Nico Fala? Do you think USC would offer him? No, I think they're done for the 2013 class as far as offensive line goes. Um, he's a, he's a lightweight guy, kind of like, uh, Nico Fala and that he's definitely a guy that's going to put on weight and be a better player. Um, you know, in two, three years, his best football is ahead of him. Um, probably a little more raw than Nico Fala. Um, you know, so he, he was a good player, uh, had some good reps, but you know, one of those guys that showed flashes, um, is he a guy that USC all of a sudden change gears on and, and go after, you know, not unless they felt like Nico Fala was slipping, but he's a possible guy that could be a plan B guy down the road. So it's not necessarily completely out of the question that USC uh, might not still continue to look at him and, and still, you know, entertain interest from him, you know, if he actually has interest in USC uh, at this point going forward. Uh, before Chris Hawkins' commitment, Gerard seemingly didn't have much confidence in him as a player. Woo, to call him out, Gerard. And it sounded like G thought he wasn't all that tight as a corner. Any change in his opinion? And could he be a candidate to switch prior to signing day? That's from Kevin in South OC. Another negative toned question, Kevin. I hope you're okay over there. <laughs> yeah, it's recruiting's going pretty well to be uh, to negative at this point. Um, I, well, I mean, the questions that were always asked of me were comparing Johnny Johnson with Chris Hawkins and some of the other players in state who was the best corner, and that was early in spring. Johnny Johnson at that point was the best corner. Um, Johnny Johnson hasn't really been able to do much uh, because of his labrum surgery and having a soldier injury, so that shoulder, that shoulder has pretty much kept him out from being able to do one-on-ones and be able to compete and, and stay on the map right now with guys like Chris Hawkins. Um, I think Chris Hawkins, again, I, I said it before, brings a lot to the USC class, um, just not even from a tangible standpoint, but for the intangible, the fact that he's a guy that works hard, got great work ethic, he's smart, he's going to get in early for USC, he's you know young, and he's got a lot of room to grow, he's got long arms, long legs, he's high cut, he's kind of similar uh, to, to Jalen Ramsey that way, he doesn't have you know the numbers that Jalen Ramsey does for you know the six foot, 190 pounds, and he's running you know four four one or whatever, um, but he's definitely one of those guys that uh, I think has his best football ahead of him, and I think the great thing about Chris Hawkins is that he loves football. And he eats, breathes, and sleeps football. And that's one of those things where he's out there trying 
trying to find out ways to get better. He's you know, going out and reaching out to Brian Kelly so he can learn more about the Tampa 2 before he gets on campus. Those type of things are, you know, they're invaluable. If you can bring in a kid that just gets it and understands and buys in to your philosophy and your program completely. And I think, you know, Chris Hawk is going to be one of those guys. Uh, Tor had a question on how the West Coast targets fared at the opening. I think we, we covered that pretty well uh, in the previous podcast, so you can check that out. Um, Mark wants to know, there seems to be an emphasis on getting recruits from the southern states, Florida, etc. I totally understand the need to get the best of the best with only 15 scholarships available, but I'm curious if the national focus is at the expense of local players who are equally talented. Well, I mean, USC's done pretty good locally as well. I mean, they're, they're certainly not it's, – it's one of those things where they like to pepper in some national guys, and, and at certain positions you're going to want to do that just because from any given year one position may be thin – uh, locally, and it may be stacked in another area of the country. So um, you want to be able to go out there, and you want to be able to grab some guys. And, and they're always USC's always going to offer a bunch of defensive linemen from the southeast because that's that's where they tend to come from is the southeast. There's not a lot of guys locally uh, that are the big you know six four or three hundred pound guys um, that you want to recruit as defensive tackles. So uh, you know USC's peppered in some guys nationally. This is a class that's definitely more national flavor this early on than I can remember off the top of my head. USC, I think, with Pete Carroll, would tend to get the guys committed locally first and then the guys who are national, try to keep them under the radar as long as possible, and then have them commit towards January. That seems to be quite different in this class as far as the way Lane Kiffin is playing it. And there's an argument to be made whether it's the right move or not because you're going to have Jalen Ramsey sitting out there in SEC country the whole year where guys, every class, every school is just going to line up against USC and say bad things about USC. Same thing uh, with, with Kenny Bigelow and Cleo Rogers. You know, SC is definitely the school that has the target on their back with every one of those prospects. So it's a different philosophy. It's a different strategy. We're going to see if it works or not. Um, you know, it's, it's bit USC in the butt before, you know, with guys like Elshon Jeffrey, and there's been some players that they've had committed out of state early that have gone on to decommit. Um, you know, James Wilson was a guy way back in the day, offensive lineman from Jacksonville, who was committed to USC right up until basically December and ended up flipping over to Florida. So, you know, it's one of those things where I, I guess, you know, whether you're local or not, you know, January is always that crazy year where kids go on official visits and, you know, things get said in their ears. Um, but there's going to be a, a whole basically season of that that USC is going to have to try to protect their out-of-state commits. Okay, last two questions. I'm going to combine them so we can get out of here. J.D. in D.C. said, with only two linebackers in the 2012 class and likely only one in 2013, how does the 2014 linebacker class shape up California and the West Coast? And uh, Mohammed in Detroit wants to know, what's the scoop? He says, with Ware, Adoree Jacks, Dwight Will, which I think it means Dwight Williams, and uh, Iman Marshall. So there's a couple linebackers in there. I guess you can co- kind of combine those two. There's not. That's mostly defensive backs. Um, you know, we don't know about linebackers at this point, um, you know, from a from a real quantity standpoint. You know, we've seen guys like Jermadre Cobb. Uh, we've seen uh, Dwight Williams. And I really like Dwight Williams. I think Dwight Williams is surprisingly a guy – that USC could really go after and offer probably early in the process. He's really good in coverage. He's 
definitely undersized. He's a guy that looks more like a safety out there. But, you know, the, the Deion Bailey comparisons come across. Now, Deion Bailey was a safety in high school and was really more of a covered safety. So in terms of playing style, I would not compare him to. But body size and body style, you know, are probably very similar. I mean, about six foot, 190, 195 pounds. Um, and, and Williams is really, really good in coverage. He's definitely one of those guys that impressed us in the camps that we saw him at. Um, now, with the guys that are the defensive backs, that's a whole other can of worms. I mean, Amal Marshall is 2015, so he's way down the line. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, so the defensive back class next year, you're really probably looking at one guy, one corner, maybe one safety. We'll kind of see what the, the talent pool is like. It's definitely one of those things where we have to see how good a player really is. Because there's guys in every class that can transcend need. You know, if you've got a guy that's coming into this class and he's just going to be the spectacular player and he's going to be one of the top, you know, three guys in the state, then even if you have a full position of safeties or cornerbacks, you still probably don't want to recruit that guy and get that guy. So, you know, we have yet to really see that. We have yet to see enough of the 2014 kids where there's guys out there that are just so good that it's like, oh, well, yeah, USC has to recruit this kid. doesn't matter if they get six defensive backs in this class or they get five corners or whatever it may be. So we have to wait on that. But at this point, um, there's not any, you know, linebacker that's jumped out that's just, you know, overwhelming – Bontez Burfick level type kid uh, coming out of high school. Um, and defensive back-wise, um, you know, Dury's definitely a, a top player. He's, he's, a lot of guys are looking at him, and obviously coming from Sarah High School, and the same thing with uh, Damian, or um, Dwight Williams, both those guys being Sarah grads, you know, there's been some lineage there, and so people get pretty excited about anybody coming out of Sarah anymore. Marquise Ware, was he, play, he was playing linebacker, wasn't he? Marquise Ware is probably going to end up being a defensive end. Um, he's got to put a little more height on, um, but he played a little bit of linebacker at the B2G Elite Camp, um, but that was just basically because he wasn't going to get any real run uh, playing defensive line because there just was, wasn't enough linemen there that were healthy to, to really play and do one-on-ones. Um, so he was playing a little linebacker. He plays some linebacker on film. It's more of a stand-up type linebacker. He's kind of a hybrid. I kind of feel like he's going to end up putting his hand down and end up getting bigger. I think he's got a lot of maturing to do. I think he's a pretty young dude, and um, I could see him playing defensive end in college. And it's a possibility he continues to play linebacker, but I, I think he's more of a defensive end. Yeah, two of the starting West linebackers at the uh, Rivals five-star uh, challenge were 2014 kids. So um, there are some young linebackers out there. We'll have to watch them during their junior year and see how they progress. Yeah, definitely. Just nobody that, you know, has been so spectacular that it's like, oh, I mean, there were some guys at the five-star challenge, and I've made the, the comment before, and I'm going to stick to it. I think that USC could end up offering just about every junior that we had at the five-star challenge. But there were some guys there, you know, Andrew Brown, and um, it, there was just some, some crazy good juniors like Bo Scarborough, who's a guy that just, I mean, he he's like – he, he he looks better than Reuben Foster right now. I mean, as far as physical prowess goes, uh, taller and, and maybe a little faster, leaner. There's some great-looking players. But none of those guys are California guys. You know, most of those guys are from the southeast, and those are those guys that go, okay, yeah, USC's going to offer him next week. USC, you know, Deshaun Hand, those kind of guys you see, and you go, okay, yeah, that guy just looks the part, right. you know, walking into the lobby. Um, haven't seen any of those kids 
uh, from California yet, and from a skill standpoint, ne- not haven't necessarily seen uh, any of those guys. One guy that we were pretty excited to see that didn't really step up to the plate was Jeffrey Farrar uh, from Bishop Alamany. He was a receiver that we heard a lot of great things about, and he was okay, but just not a guy that I think is a immediate USC must-offer type guy, not a Sue Cravens type guy, not even a Max Redfield type guy uh, in my view. All right. Well, big recruiting podcast this week. Thanks, Gerard. I think we got to every question. Apologize if we didn't. I think I got to all of them. So uh, thanks very much, Gerard, for hanging on and uh, sharing all your thoughts. It was great stuff. Thank you for having me as always. All right. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We'll see if next Wednesday USC can pick up a couple more commitments, even though there's really no more room. Uh, But anyway, we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks very much for tuning in. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.